Hi, welcome to Grace Intersect. The goal of this podcast is to help us have an increasingly clear understanding of grace. My name is Jerry Moldenhauer. Thank you for joining us today. We were standing at the door, ready to leave the home of a very dear friend who we don't see often enough. The discussion centered around God's grace and the laws of the Old Testament, specifically what is known as the Law of Moses. Our time together was fun, stimulating, serious, and sweet. It's the kind of time together that is totally comfortable, like it could go on forever. During the course of our processing, trying to come to a compatible understanding with each other, our friend mentioned that grace and the Old Testament law were like two sides of the same coin. On one side was grace, and on the other side was the law. That was kind of like saying the Old Testament on one side and the New Testament on the other side of the coin. The analogy had a hint of logic. As I was processing out loud with our friend, it became clear to me how the analogy was inaccurate. It would fit if you were talking about the Bible as a book. It contains the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament contains the Law of Moses, and the New Testament contains grace. However, that's as far as the analogy would work. In reality, there is no direct connection between grace and the law. My response was that the whole coin would have to be considered grace. To try to balance the law with grace literally destroys the value of grace. This discussion points out the general thinking of the church that I grew up in. The church borrowed significant aspects from the Old Testament for inclusion into the New Testament. Things borrowed from the Old Testament and considered applicable to the New Testament times included things like the Ten Commandments, kosher foods, pagan holidays such as Christmas and Easter, and a few other items. This was an attempt to mix ingredients of the law into the provision of grace. To do this indicates a very poor understanding of God's grace. For some reason, it seems like God's grace is so very hard to wrap our heads around. We, as humans, are wired for qualifying and quantifying. Almost all aspects of life are charted and measured. So, it is very natural for us to think that, even when it comes to grace, there must be things that require measuring the quantity and quality. Let's take a brief look at both grace and the law in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the law of Moses has over 600 requirements complete with punishments that applied to the Jewish people. Before that time, rules did exist, but seemed to be understood more as a function of conscience. Also, prior to the law of Moses, God's grace was already in place. It is how he related to people. In the story of Adam and Eve, God demonstrated his love and grace toward them. God had a loving relationship with them in a perfect setting. They then made the mistake of listening to Satan. He persuaded them that they could become more godlike if they discarded the instruction God had given them. Also, he convinced them that they would not experience death as a result of discarding God's instruction. Upon following through with Satan's suggestion, they immediately knew that they had done wrong. Apparently, they did not know how to handle their new situation very well. They actually tried to hide from God when he came to walk and talk with them as they had done often before. For the first time, they experienced fear. They were afraid of God. Why do you think? They may have felt guilt and shame. For the first time, they felt a disconnect with their Creator. I wonder what that felt like to them. How do you deal with emotions you've never felt before? Did they even know about punishment as a concept? Of course, God knew exactly what had happened. They previously had a perfect love relationship with God and each other. Now imperfection was injected into the relationships that they had had with each other and God. This was all new to Adam and Eve. They may have had no idea what to expect from God. 
They did know that God said death would be the result of not following his instructions. In God's next conversation with Adam and Eve, God extends his grace to them. They had had a perfect relationship, and now it was imperfect. But he wanted to continue a relationship with them at some level. That relationship would now be different because of their imperfection. And death, though not immediate, would happen. For the first time, now they knew what nakedness was like in an imperfect state. God provided clothing for them. This was a demonstration of grace. He then explained consequences that they would experience. Though he rightfully could have, at no time did God even hint at not continuing a relationship with them. However, it would be different now. Later, during the time of Noah, God demonstrated his grace once again. By this time, people had increasingly shown the natural effects of their imperfection. Evil of all kinds was practiced and getting worse. Violence was unchecked. Every desire and thoughts of their minds was only evil continually. If you were God, what kinds and amounts of evil would cause you to finally say, enough? Those who had a relationship with God had almost disappeared. Noah was the one person who still had an interest in a relationship with God. Noah was by no means perfect, but he did have a faith relationship with God. Instead of destroying everyone since none were perfect, God honored Noah's faith and their relationship by not destroying Noah and his family. God instructed Noah to build an ark for his family and selected animals. The rest of human life would be destroyed in a flood. This was grace in action. Again, many years later, during the time of Abraham, God demonstrated grace once again. God invited Abraham to a land unknown to him or his family. He made incredible promises to Abraham that would be beyond belief, except it was God who had made them. Like Adam and Noah before him, Abraham was far from perfect. But, like them, he was willing to have faith in God. He was willing to have a relationship with God. God kept his promises to Abraham. The Jewish nation was born and grew into a great multitude. Something very key and important was included in those promises. God told Abraham that all the nations of the earth would be blessed through him. Grace then and grace now. Even as God loved the Jewish people and attempted to have a loving relationship with them, their flawed human nature continually got in the way. Their imperfections interrupted his every attempt. In short, humans became so self-focused they lost their ability to connect to a perfect spiritual entity. They prioritized their physical experience and focused on their short-term existence. As a result, they suffered the natural consequences of life without the hope for what lay beyond it. Part of the natural consequences the Jewish nation experienced was being taken captive by other nations. They spent over 400 years as slaves in Egypt. Then Moses comes on the scene. He had a relationship with God. Like Adam, Noah, and Abraham, Moses was far from perfect. But he did have faith in God. Are you picking up a theme yet? God helped Moses lead the Jewish people back to the land that God had given to Abraham. It was during the time of their journey from Egypt that God gave Moses a code of laws. Over 600 instructions were given. They included rules for clothing, food, and, most importantly, relationships. The relationship instructions focused on their relationship with God and their relationships with each other. These laws were specifically for the Jewish people at that time in history. They formed the basis for the Jewish religion. As time went on, many factions formed. This was due to differing interpretations of how the law was to be applied. What happened in the practice of the Jewish religion is what happens to all religions. 
In fact, it's what happens to all codes of conduct. People cannot perfectly obey all requirements. Laws can help provide guidelines for how society should function. They help people know what they should or should not do. They help define what is right and what is wrong. But nobody keeps all of them perfectly. What happens when laws are broken? Well, laws also provide for consequences. Why is that necessary? Uh, is that a stupid question? Well, think about it. If it is, why? If it isn't, why not? Feel free to pause this episode for a bit to process your thoughts. Well, not sure where your mind went, but try this. Perhaps it's because our human history would suggest that any society of size without laws would be chaos. Anarchy would rule. Only the strongest and the smartest people would survive. The rest would either be ruled over, enslaved, or die. That is the story of humanity. We look at our history and use the word civilization to identify societies that are most advanced. We may think of civilized societies as educated, with engineering and technology constantly improving. However, without clear expression of laws and the authority to enforce them, social order would break down. Utopias are only a frustrating and distracting dream. What is it that all laws, religious or otherwise, have in common? Among other things, they get broken. No matter which society or what the laws are, everyone will break one or more laws at some point. Chances are none of the legal codes are perfect, and the people to which they apply for certain are not perfect. At best, laws will identify what we believe to be right and wrong and act as a deterrent to doing wrong. Is that enough to provide for a utopia? If so, we should have seen some by now, don't you think? Laws really are limited to providing behavior mitigation or modification. Laws do nothing to improve human nature at its core. For example, justice is an honorable goal, but with imperfect people trying to define it and how and when to apply it, well, it will always be a matter of opinion. Usually, the opinion of the most powerful prevails regardless of its morality. And who defines morality, anyway? That's why mercy is important. There are times when those who have broken a law may be sentenced to a reduced punishment, or perhaps even no punishment at all, because that would provide for a better outcome in the mind of the court. Of course, that is a judgment call, pun intended. Then there are times when a person has been convicted of a crime in a court of law, and someone in a higher position of authority extends a full pardon. In that case, they no longer have any threat of punishment. It is as if the debt to society has been fully paid. To have been convicted of a crime, whether done intentionally or not, how exciting would it be to receive mercy at some level? To have a sentence reduced would be cause for rejoicing. To have a full pardon? Well, that would be ecstasy beyond imagination. The greater the crime and the punishment, the greater the joyous relief. Now picture a situation in which a person is guilty of a capital crime. The death penalty is just and guaranteed. It's only a matter of time. Many other people are on death row, but that's of no consolation. It's your life that's at stake. Then, the warden comes by and says the President of the United States has been following the twists and turns of your life. He would like to pardon you in full, and beyond that, have you live with him in the White House. Actually, he would like to adopt you into his family with a million-dollar-a-year allowance. Are you interested? You can say no. This goes beyond mercy. This is grace. You are not only pardoned, you are given a gift that goes far beyond anything you could hope for. 
Certainly no amount of effort or perfect behavior would qualify you for such an honor. It is a gift. This is certainly not a perfect analogy with the good news that Jesus brings to us, but hopefully it helps us get the idea across. We deserve the consequences of our naturally imperfect existence. We are destined for death. We have no reasonable hope that there is anything we can ever do to change the outcome. We are given mercy when we get his pardon, and we are given grace when we get to join his family in loving relationship for eternity. Here's where God's reality and ours differs starkly. Our physical realm does not dictate to his spiritual realm. No matter how much something makes sense to us, it doesn't necessarily translate into a spiritual equivalent. Here's the deal. We can't even follow our own laws perfectly, so we can't expect to follow God's perfect laws perfectly. How arrogant to think we could. Yet, it is pretty easy to live as if that's the case. God knows we are incapable, but he still wants to have a relationship with us. We just have to get out of our own egotistical way. When we do, God has more for us than we could ever dream or imagine. What can be better than a loving relationship with our Creator God? So, if we are going to find a way to a love relationship with God, it won't be through our own doing, but it can be through His doing. His way is totally new. It is a spiritual way. God hasn't thrown out His Old Testament laws, but He has superseded them. We now have a better way to be in relationship with Him. It's called grace. It's a total gift from Him, a love gift that makes us part of His eternal family. How unfortunate that so many who accept His grace gift struggle to live in the freedom it brings. It's so easy to slip back into a mindset of needing to do something to maintain our relationship with God. We seem to have this need to check our qualifications and or inadequacies, to somehow measure how we are doing in our relationship, and worse, see how we measure up relative to how we perceive other people. It's easier to do that when we have laws or rules to help identify our progress or failures. So it can be fairly easy to say we accept grace, but use the law as a guide. The problem is, that is a slippery slope to using the law as a measuring stick instead of just a guide. At some point, we judge ourselves and others by our selected laws. See how easy it is to put laws on one side of a coin and grace on the other? Intentions may have been good, at least to begin with, but it doesn't matter. Laws and grace do not mix. Paul was a Jewish scholar and a passionate stickler for Jewish laws. He had a reputation for being practically perfect in following the laws. But he knew about himself what others didn't, nor could easily know about him. That is, he did not observe all Ten Commandments. He shares his experience in a letter he wrote to the people in Rome in the first century. In that letter, he talks about the purpose of the law and how people respond to law. Paul says the purpose of the law is to show us where we have problems. It points out what we do wrong. If there is no law for what we want to do, then it's probably not illegal. However, he points out, it doesn't really help us to do what is right. There may be some people who avoid what is against the law out of fear of punishment, but a lot of us purposely ignore laws from time to time. And there are those who purposely break laws for whatever reason. We are told that laws are made to be broken. Of course, that only applies to the ones we don't like at the given moment. Not everyone would agree on which ones those should be at any given time. We are also told you can't legislate morality, but we sure try. It's just that we don't always agree on what morality is. So, what does all this tell us about our relationship to laws, rules, and regulations? So, Paul, writing to the Romans, confessed that he had a problem with coveting. 
That is a transgression of one of the Ten Commandments. He also said if it wasn't for the commandment, he wouldn't have known coveting was wrong. But knowing what the command stated and knowing it was wrong didn't give him the strength to not covet. When you see the do not touch sign, what comes to mind? Why? What do you feel like doing when you see the wet paint sign? Whatever you do, don't think about... Go ahead. Try not to think about... Ready? Don't think about... Okay, it really doesn't matter what you aren't supposed to think about because you know as soon as you hear what it is, you will think about it, right? See how we are? So we need more than laws, rules, rituals, and so on to come into a loving relationship with God. We can't do anything on our own to join a family of perfection. We can rely on a loving God to extend grace toward us. He loves us. He demonstrated that by offering us a total, complete, eternal pardon. And more, He wants us to accept His love gift of grace, our adoption into His perfect family forever. That is amazing grace. Thank you for listening today. My name is Jerry Moldenhauer, and this is the Grace Intersect Podcast. As we process God's grace together, please know that your thoughts and or questions are always welcome. Comments may be made at the website, graceintersect.com, or by emailing comments at graceintersect.com. Have a great day.